Hello, and welcome to the Artificial Podcast, with your host Nick Myers. Artificial Intelligence. Voice Recognition. Machine Learning. Robotic. Actionable Analytics. It is Nick's goal to help everyone understand how AI and voice technology are reshaping our lives both personally and within organizations. Your glimpse into the growing world of AI and voice first starts now. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Nick Myers. Welcome to the Artificial Podcast. My name is Nick Myers, and I am here to help break down topics in artificial intelligence and voice first to show everyone how these technologies are going to impact our lives both personally and within organizations. The Artificial Podcast is brought to you by Red Fox AI, helping give brands a voice to the power of AI and voice assistant technology. This week, I am excited to welcome Jeremy Wilkin to the Artificial Podcast. Jeremy is the host of the Design for Voice podcast and has been recognized by SoundHound as a top influencer in voice. He currently works as a software engineer for VMware and as a voice developer and designer. He's also a Google developer expert for the Google Assistant, Web Technologies, and Angular. His key interests are how users and technology intersect and how to ensure that best experiences for all users using modern technology. Jeremy, welcome to the Artificial Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah, I'm excited. I I always say I'm excited with every guest I have on, but every guest that I truly try to bring onto the show just always has such a unique and different perspective on whether it be AI or voice, and the two really kind of go hand in hand. So I'm really excited to kind of get your perspective on some things related to design and and just voice in general. So um, the first question I have for you here, just to kind of get things going, is I always like to ask those I bring on the show, what led you to get started in voice space? You know, I find that everybody kind of has that light bulb moment, where like, oh, awesome, this technology is is what I want to what I want to do because it helped me do some. But what what led you to get started in voice? Well, as many people who have gotten into voice more recently, there's the the veterans of the industry who have been at. I think they all were at Nuance at some point, it seems like, but then there's those who've been in the industry maybe four to five years now. Yeah, uh, It's getting the Echo, the, the Echo when it came out in 2015, and I actually forgot because I pre-ordered it and wasn't really <laughs> sure what it was at the time. It was just like, okay, something with talking, but it was like, it's you know, 50% off if you pre-order now. And so I was like, well, all right, I can always cancel later and then forgot. And then I got a notification that it was being shipped uh, to my old house since I had moved in the interim. So I r- rapidly got it shipped to the new house, uh, unboxed it and started trying it out. And even though the early days of the Echo were a bit rocky, there were things that it did well. Some of the music stuff and, and timers and some of the kitchen things is what it really said it, it did well. And it, uh-huh. it performed most of the time. Um, it wasn't that that made it the aha moment. It was the fact that my my wife and also my daughter who was two um, actually started to build it and or not to build it but to use it and when I realized that this wasn't a piece of technology that was just for me there's this whole group of people that in, in my own household who normally don't pick up technology like I do actually engaging with it as much or more than I have uh, yeah. it, it really it changed my perspective on what this thing could do and then I started to look into how to build some things and uh, Google Assistant came out a short while later with uh, and then they had the, the Google Home devices. When they finally opened up that platform is when I finally was like, okay, I'm, I'm digging into this and actually building something. And I really wanted to 
go in and understand how can I take voice to things that I do every day instead of just playing music, which I do every day, but you know, that's very basic. It's audio only. I wanted to actually dig into something that caused uh, a, a change in the world around me. And so I ended up building a demo of controlling my computer, uh, the, my browser through voice. And that's I was able neat. to, yeah, it was, it was, I wanted to demonstrate I could load a web page. It was a specific page that I designed yeah. that hooked into everything, but uh, it was, I could ask questions of a data set and it would return results and chart them and graph them. And uh, that's really cool. <laughs> very, very simple um, metrics from the world bank about countries, um, population trends and things like that. But it, it, the, the aha moment on top of, Hey, this is for everybody, including my two-year-old. It's like, I had this idea in my head that I have a question that, I could articulate really easily with voice or you know, typing as well in conversation. And when we look at traditional applications out there, we often think, okay, you, you actually get training on how to use things like Photoshop. That's a complex program. Um, and many, many enterprise companies, their products, you, know, you, you have to take training to understand what it is. And some of that's partly because of the environment, but some of it's the software itself is just complex. And at the time I was trying to figure out, well, how could we reduce and remove all of that? And, and so I built the demo to just say like, this is clear to me that if I can have this thought, this intention in my head and wrap it through uh, the voice experience to generate the result I'm looking for in seconds versus clicking, typing, searching, whatever it is that I have to do on this website uh, or web application, this is the end goal. This is what people are gonna want to be able to do. And that's really the future that I saw. This was three or four years ago now. So we still don't have that for, for most places, but uh, mm -hmm. I still think that's really, really, really um, exciting and what I want to see happen in the voice space. Well, that's, that's super interesting. And I, I know we kind of had a conversation uh, a couple months ago before Voice Summit. And so I guess with, with that in mind, that you actually built a voice application that could control a web page. Do you envision the future of this, you know, being something, and you're the first person who's actually, well, one done something like this, but actually brought this up. Do you envision that maybe voice is more or less instead of maybe some of these other things that we're focusing on solely like voice search and, oh, you know, you can handle customer service traffic better and, and some of these other things. Do you think that maybe the future of the technology is making already existing experiences easier, like searching for searching through physical web pages and finding information that way or anything like that? There's the idea in your head that you have of what you want to accomplish, right? There's, if you stop and think through what it is I want to do, it comes out as a string of words in your head, uh, that inner voice that you have going on. Yeah. And if you can, the closest way to get from that inner voice to a result is natural language understanding. If I can provide that thought, whether it's voice or typing it out, uh, if I can provide that to a system that can understand its intention and meaning as well, then we cut down on a lot of those intermediary steps. There's some really huge uh, improvements for everybody there, but there's also a lot of accessibility bonuses that come with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm certainly not the first person to build a thing that talks to the computer to control the screen. I, I, yeah. I don't want to claim credit for that. But, uh, and, and it was a hacky demo because I had to like link my computer and my device and you know, there's not a great way to do that. Um, cause contextually, how would it know which screen to display and things like that, that there's still lots of challenges to make these, these kinds of things a reality, but 
uh, I'll take uh, Apple's improvements in Mac OS for its next release include voice control so that uh, it's an extension of the operating system more than just hey Siri type experiences but yeah. it's actually really an accessibility tool where you can say um, open this tab now click on login yeah, absolutely you, you dictate your your actions rather than um, just talking to uh, well, talking to a smart speaker. And, and so that's like a, a, a step beyond the intention. That's more of a control pattern. But the, the places that it's going to go, I think, are you know really, really exciting and interesting. And what people can do with that eventually bridges the gap between uh, what I'm thinking and, and what the world around me is offering. Yeah. So, so with that in mind, what is one thing that you find most intriguing about the technology so far? since you've been working with it in, in the way that you have been? Most intriguing. Well, the, I really have been very interested in the accessibility and, and I include like the access to children and how my young children have been able to utilize these things mm-hmm. uh, with, they can't read or before they could read, they still could control and have, you know, these experiences yeah. um, even before they, started to use tablets and screens. And so uh, the ability to bring that to everybody, people who are shut-ins, people who, have, um, who, are, who are blind or have sight impairments, um, people who are just carrying too much stuff at that particular moment to use their phone <laughs> right. to do whatever it is, like voices that uh, new input mode, newish input mode, um, it's being brought to the masses at this point, uh, right. to the just to put it that way, but um, it's, it's interesting to see all of the benefits that can come from all of the people who may have been traditionally excluded from some of the technologies that we've built in the past. However, we have to build meaningful and uh, thoughtful experiences and get people aware of those, um, those opportunities because discovery is really, really difficult. What can I do with these things? You know, my kids only know what they only mimic basically what, mm-hmm. what we've done is what they do. Um, they don't currently go up to it and start just asking for it to do all kinds of silly things. Although eventually some kids do that, but <laughs> at, at two, you don't see that, right. that behavior. That's more of a six year old or something like that. Um, and then an elderly person, you know, that might be very scary at first, but if they have a good experience with whatever it is that they start on, that might lead them to um, feel more comfortable with it and it can give them uh, additional capabilities where they don't have to get up to do something which is maybe good for their for their health or wellness. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think accessibility is one of the, the, the largest positives of this technology and the fact that it really isn't limiting, you know, for the first time. And I, I mentioned this sometimes in and talks I give is, you know, the technology has to adapt to us. We don't necessarily have to adapt to the technology because for the most part, every human being knows how to talk, right? You know, from, you know, the age of one, two, you start learning how to talk and use language and, and doing mimicking as, as you just mentioned. So I think the accessibility components of what voice is bringing to the table, I think are some of the, the most positive aspects of that. And, you know, I'm really glad that's what intrigues you because I, if there is any market, and I think we kind of talked about this before we started recording, if there's any positive market that seems to be taking off right now, it seems to be healthcare and accessibility. 
areas of the technology. So I, I think you're, you're spot on with that. But, you know, as a developer and, a, you know, a, somebody who both develops and is a designer for voice, you know, what have some of the toughest challenges been that you've faced so far in the space, both either developing or designing for, for voice? Oh, toughest ones. Wait, how, how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> such a, it's such an emotional experience to have a voice experience. And you think about it in, in like the studies of how the brain operates, the, the vocal regions and stuff. I don't remember all the details, but uh, you know, they're li intricately linked to emotion far more than other forms of technology, you know, because there's so much in a voice, right? There's the inflection, there's the potential, you know, your stress and strain. Are you uh, happy? Yep. Sad? Um, there's the gender or do we have non-gender? And so there's all of this uh, information in a, in a voice and with synthetic voices, we are still at the point where most of the time we can fairly easily determine that it's a synthetic voice. Although some, some folks have demonstrated some really amazing uh, technology there, but um, it's, it's really difficult to come up with the right balance of being human-like and respecting how humans engage and also standing off a little bit so that people know that it's still just this technology behind the curtain. Um, there's a lot of challenges thinking through the design. So I'll start with that. So design is often decoupled from the development's part uh, in people in larger teams at least. So if you're if you're one developer, you may not even think much about the design, um, which you should, but uh, it's, it's different, difficult, it may seem foreign to a lot of developers at first, but thinking through how people actually communicate, well, you, you have subjects around you every day. It's your family, your friends, the close people around you. Mm -hmm. A lot of people's experience is limited to that. And when right. you start building for that, you, you box yourself in. And so that actually starts to get you in the, the case where you're not building for full inclusion. You don't think about how children might utilize the skill. You don't think about how somebody who's hard of hearing or um, far away from the speaker might access that information. And um, I, I have one suggestion that I've told people before. I was like, try to use, take a shower and try to use your voice skill or voice app, you know, that's in the other room. Yes, so you can do it. Great and, you advice. Know, turn the disposal on in the in the kitchen or something. You know, figure out some ways to simulate these difficult scenarios. Yeah, and put some stress on it. Yeah, and, and things get lost in the way that we think through our our dialogue. Um, people don't put a lot of care into that sometimes. And uh, the most common and the most repeatable thing is putting the blame back on the person saying like, I don't understand you. Like it's your fault. And you know, there's the subtext. That's a, a huge challenge. And it's mm -hmm. really hard because humans make a lot of mistakes when we're talking. I mean, I, I don't know oh, how many yeah. sentences I've said here that are actually complete sentences. Versus just fragments. <laughs> but if you stop and look at a transcription of what you've just spoken, you, you realize very quickly that there are a lot of fragments and, and broken thoughts and it takes a lot of cognition to, to put everything together. And in, in voice experiences, we tend to think that this is a perfect world and people are going to say precisely what we expect. Um, 
And a lot of that comes to lack of research, lack of knowledge on who the users are and what context they might be using it. So if there's one thing, I would say it's doing proper research and investigation of all the folks uh, who might be involved in, in consuming your experience. On the developer side, um, there's just the technologies are still very nascent. There's yeah. a lot of powerful stuff out there. It's, it's interesting because it is so easy to build a basic skill or action uh, or capsule or oh, goodness, <laughs> there's a name for everything. Different but, buzzwords and names for everything. Yeah, there's, it, the technology is surprisingly easy for anybody who knows a little bit, of, especially if you know JavaScript, uh, if you're a web developer with a, a year or two of experience, generally it's fairly intuitive as far as mm -hmm. the, the tech stack. And so that's, that's fantastic. But on the other hand, the complex things that you wanna do if you have a really thoughtful design become really, really hard to put into code. So the complexities of things like how do you you know, make sure that you don't follow up the exact same prompt twice. Well, that's on you to curate that a lot of times and not just think through it in the design phase, but make sure you've codified that into your system. Um, and you might even have five or six reprompt examples, or uh, maybe you have different forms of reprompt. So the first time, it's just like a repeat of the question, more or less, but the second time, maybe you go into a bit more detail in case they just didn't understand it. And have you thought through that? Mm -hmm. Do you actually put that into your development process? Um, and if you do, then you have to keep track of things like how many times has this person um, been asked this question? And there's lots of state and then you know conversations are stateful, right? You move from topic to topic and things shift over time. Um, so there's context that evolves with the conversation, but applications uh, struggle to mimic that naturalness because it's hard to know at what point is that going to fall off? At what point do we now talk about yeah. this question or you know this part of the application? And there's a lot of thinking you have to do ahead of time to say, okay, we're in this part of the application. So if they say this, well, this is the then then that's the most logical thing to answer versus something we would have said if they were in a different vertical of the application. So the more complex it is, the more you're tracking, the more you've got to just think through it. And then obviously testing just becomes very yeah. uh, challenging. Um, there's some things out there for for testing, but it's still quite um, quite complex. So that's why most of the experiences that we see today, I think, are still in the not necessarily one shot, but s smaller scope. There's um, there's limited sets of things that are immersive and long running. There's a few games that do that. Um, mostly games, actually, I think that that go beyond yeah. sort of the basic uh, three or four intents. Gotcha. Yeah, I I think all the all the things you just discussed there. I think most people who I would be shocked if most people who develop design or or do both right now don't experience exactly what you described. I know me. I may not be so much on the development side of things, but from the design aspect, I agree with you completely. It's completely different from anything I've ever done. You know, my background is marketing communications, so I know a lot about Google Ads and keyword search. Right. Well. You know, you can kind of see what keywords people are using to type in a search, right, in Google through all the tools they give you. For voice, you could say something an infinite number of different ways, really, when you start thinking about it. So I, I agree with you completely that trying to anticipate all these different 
situations, if you will, of what somebody could say, how you're going to anticipate that. Should I follow up with a question? Should I not follow up with a question? I think is one of the hardest parts of this. And I don't know if you've seen much of what Amazon started coming out with actually in some of their, um, in the Alexa design guide, there's a, a section in there now for situational design where they're trying to get people to, it seems like, think more about designing for situations versus this happy path that I think initially we all were like, oh, it's just like a chatbot or it's just like, you know, leading someone down a click funnel in a website when it's not like that whatsoever. Yeah, think of it, situational design or I've also heard the term state design. It's, it's more of like you are walking into the mall or into some physical space where there's lots of places, you know, a library, you know, as you start to maneuver around, you might ask questions like, um, uh, what's over there? And you know, these just general questions, but the context of where I'm at inside of that store or that physical space, if someone's standing next to me, they understand that context and apply uh, that to their understanding of my question. You know, if I'm talking about something without context, then I'm gonna have to be much more explicit. Um, you know, what's, what's on the corner of Fifth and Ninth Avenue or whatever, you know? If, but if I'm standing there and I point over and someone's there, you know, there's context. So situational state design, whatever you want to call it, is functionally trying to break down and say, okay, we're kind of on this sub-theme at this moment in time. So what are the most logical things that should be kind of the primary options when, when someone is speaking? Yeah follow it up with, okay, if that falls through, then there's the secondary things. And then kind of, you know, at any moment, the priority, the top priorities sort of realign based on where they are in the application. And as they speak, you, you kind of keep focus on hopefully what's closest, but realize that at any moment they might just shift gears and go to something completely different. And you want to try to support both. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And it, it's, it's a very delicate balance trying to get both of those components to, to work really well right now, like you said, just based on the limitations of, of the technology at the current moment, and then just a completely new way of thinking when it comes to design. So, you know, other than maybe the, the project you talked about where you were able to connect voice to an internet search, sorry, forgive me if I'm totally butchering this, when you, when you had that interface between your, your voice app and your computer, what are some other products that you've worked on that you felt have maybe helped you overcome some of these obstacles as a, as a voice first designer and developer. If you have any other ones you'd like to talk about here quick. So I've looked into, I, I do a lot of prototyping. Um, don't ship a lot of things. So a lot of things that I've tried include um, things that are adjacent to your location. So one that I have out there tells you when the space station will fly over next. And so cool. <laughs> what's, it's, it's a one-shot type experience. And I wanted to figure out what's that like versus something more in depth, um, and, but have something meaningful with it. So it takes your street address or you know, zip code, I think, whatever you get from, uh, from the service, because it just asks, can I have your permission to get location? Um, but you have to figure out, well then, what's the alternative? What if they don't want to give me that permission? Can they just say, hey, when's the next time the space station will be visible in Austin, Texas? Um, you know, and I have to design for that as well and think through what's the possible uh, permutations or um, they may not be home, right? They might be on their phone, which could be somewhere else from their street address. And so, you know, how do these things 
uh, make a difference in, in that experience. So that's a, a lesson is the context of where the person is, right? If you're in a car, uh, I haven't done anything with cars, but I've thought about building some games um, oh, yeah. where the old car games used to have growing up as a kid, we went on road trips and you find like, uh, you have an alphabet of things, you know, find something that starts with a, yeah. And the license plate. B, and... Yeah. License plate 50 States. Right. Why can't that be a voice interaction? Um, you know, I just got an echo auto finally. Um, so I'm going to try and tinker with building out a, yeah. a voice app on, in the car. Cause um, I, I drive a lot with, with my family. Like, Why not? Let's, let's see if we can get a little game going and, you know, use the context and use it wisely. So that's one aspect. Another thing I'm working on is related to kids and books. And so what's interesting about kids, especially the younger they are, you can, they mimic to a degree, but also they have a completely different set of expectations and uh, vocabulary. So they may mimic you, but they're going to do it differently. And if you're expecting to be able to handle their inputs, you're going to have to do a lot of research on, on what exactly those, those kids are saying. Yeah. Uh, so if I want the, if they want to read a book, they bring me a book and say, Hey, read this book. And usually I get hit in the face or something, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, they, they also have uh, pseudonyms for these books. Like, well, the title is this, um, but they call it, something different. Like they'd use the main character's name instead of whatever the title of the book may be. So, you know, these are things that I've thought through. If, if the kid wants to hear a book, they need to have alternative names and it needs to be able to generate that for children per account rather than, uh, you know, globally, that doesn't make sense, but you know, per user. And so the customization personalization aspects of, of an experience, especially when you start thinking about, uh, complexities around just nomenclature and understanding mm -hmm. really adds um, an interesting dynamic, but also the, the challenge of how do you collect that information? How do you, do you just guess? Do you have to, you know, if it's a book, maybe you can look up, that's a character name and then what books might that be? And do they have it in the library? You know, maybe there's some stuff we can do with it, but on the other hand, maybe it's just a mobile app that a parent says, yep, this is <laughs> when they say Anna and Elsa, they mean the frozen book. And uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But uh, those are a couple of things that I, I've either been working on or, or intend to work on. Yeah, no, no, that's fantastic. And I, I really, for some reason, the, the, where is the international space station? When am I going to see that next just has me geeking out? Cause I have this weird fascination with space too. So if I can, is that live? Like can I actually go to the Alexa skill store or Google actions actually get that? So, yeah. It's a Google action. If you ask, um, you know, ask when the space station will fly over next done <laughs> hopefully hopefully it works <laughs> yeah so though that that's all great stuff so how do you think voice is going to impact business or business and organizations in general you know within the next five years in your opinion oh man so i i keep saying this whenever i get a chance to talk to organizations it's like your organization is going to have to figure out how to take the input conversationally not everything will be just conversation. Like a chatbot experience is good for some things or good for jumping off, but it's right. not just chatbots. It's also, can I do like a Google search, right? When you do a Google search, you might even put in a whole question, like a fully correct sentence or question uh, instead of just keywords anymore. And um, 
that's what organizations are going to have to consider. How can we mm -hmm. piggyback off of that, what Google's learned about how people think? And again, back to the, I have this thought, I want this result. How can I shortcut from my thought in your application? Is it, you know, can I type in, you're generating business reports, okay? Maybe it's finance. Can I simply request of the system uh, for 2018 end of year sales for uh, North America or, or whatever the report is, or do I have to go through some GUI to actually click on all of these filters and stuff? It's basically a query. It's a SQL query invoice if you just deconstruct it and submit it to your system. Um, I think that's a, a huge opportunity that if organizations don't hop on to those functionalities that um, especially upcoming uh, workforce is, is going to expect that. But it's not just the upcoming workforce. I think everybody would benefit from that. Uh, I've seen it in some places where it's thoughtfully put into parts of the application. Uh, some, often in support, that seems to be a good place to start just due to the amount of content that they have in you know, support and documentation. That tends to be a good way to circumnavigate the complexities of searching where you can kind of suggest things and get a little more context if you need it more conversationally. And that seems to be a positive experience for a lot of people. But uh, I think being able to engage with your application, especially the high level stuff like that, like I want to maybe see that report and then I want to drill down into it visually yeah. and interact with it. But just to generate that initial report, it's a lot easier for me to just tell you what I'm thinking. Exactly. No, I, and there's very simple things even, you know, that, that I wish I could do right now that I can't, that, that goes to your point of even getting something as simple as a report. Like, you know, I would love to be able to ask Alexa or Google, you know, what is my profit and loss statement for the month? Or what are my outstanding invoices? Or, you know, what, what bill is due on, you know, in the next five days? I mean, it seems so simple and the integration just, just isn't there. But I think so many people, when the integration finally comes, are going to benefit from that. And I mean, even now it's very simple things I use like, a lot of my emails right now, I actually use the built-in uh, dictation or Kirkdahana service in Outlook. It saves me so much time. And I'll be honest, it's actually pretty good. Like some of the text-to-speech programs out there, like even Siri, it, it still isn't like great. But the one that Microsoft built in Outlook guys, is really good. And I think it connects to their you know, their NLP backend and Lewis and all that stuff. So and not to throw all around the techie terms and different things, but. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I think those, those are going to be some really practical applications for it. And so you're probably going to be the first person to actually ask this question too, but because you're more on the development design side of things, I really want your perspective. What are your thoughts when it comes to the privacy concerns surrounding all of this data, everything in voice? And I, I really want to hear your thoughts on this just to see what you're thinking. Yeah, I, I've been, I actually have a presentation that I've been working on and, and giving and, and refining uh, on designing for privacy. And there's uh, no definition of what privacy means to everybody. Um, yep. And, and we can talk about the legal definitions, which I'm not a lawyer. Um, full disclosure, I don't provide legal advice. But anyways, <laughs> um, when, when, you, when people say privacy, uh, most of the time, people actually are saying that they are concerned about data security and um, mishandling or unauthorized use yes. of that data. Transparency. Right. And there's some really interesting um, 
research that was done, uh, was, I believe NPR had a state of the voice report. And yes, I saw that. Yep. They had some videos and one of the videos is on privacy and concerns. And uh, they, the people they interviewed, the, the couple of the folks were saying things like, you know, I don't have anything to hide. You know, it's not like I work for the government with state secrets or whatever. And, and I've heard people in, in my life who've said that, they're like, I'm just not that interesting. It's not really like I worried about it. And then other people um, are worried about it, but have developed enough trust with whatever service provider they've chosen. So a lot of it is actually not privacy, but it is trust, transparency, and security. So if we can agree on what privacy means, I, I, we could talk about that a lot more, but you know, yeah. we, I, I ask people like, what's your definition of privacy? And most of the time it comes back with um, you know, not, not being tracked on big data and whatnot, right. uh, or at least not without my consent. Um, but privacy, you know, I have little kids. If anyone has kids, you'll know that uh, you used to have privacy in the bathroom, but not now that you have kids because they don't understand <laughs> boundaries. Um, you know, is that a privacy violation that they come in even if you're in the bathroom yeah. and uh, take it out of the voice context for just a moment. Like if you're thinking about the experiences that we have in, in real life, you go to a restaurant, what kind of privacy do you really believe that you have? And uh, if you think about every spy movie you've ever seen, the two spies meet in a cafe in the center of Rome, you know, like the most public place yes. possible. Um, and there's this sense, though, of anonymity and privacy. And that's what they play on in the, in the movies. Obviously, I don't know what really happens. I'm not a spy. <laughs> um, but we have this general sense of, um, uh, of privacy. And we believe, at least especially in America, this seems to be an ideal that is paired with freedom that um, yes. we have the choice to have privacy, which is our fierce independence concept in America. And um, in, in Europe, they have stronger guidelines in the GDPR that are a bit more consistent across, across the European Union. But in, in the US, it's state by state, city by city. Um, you know, it's very regional on top of what is at the national level. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a mess right. to, to define what, what needs to be done from privacy standpoints, but yeah, especially when the federal government still doesn't seem to really fully grasp all this. <laughs> well, yeah, the technology is moving faster than legislation certainly can. Um, but there is a lot of stuff that I think is being done with uh, one small example is the lawmakers in California required that the voice assistants allow you to de delete recordings with your voice. Mm -hmm. And that's a simple, that's honestly a simple request. And, you know, I don't know, technically, but uh, it's a simple idea and it makes sense, right? Like it's, it's the platform. I should be able to do everything through that platform, um, including managing my expectations around privacy. Um, so the, the awareness of these things are growing. A, you know, AI, machine learning, facial recognition is a big thing right now, yeah. I think, with um, San Francisco banning oh, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then there's schools that are deploying it in as like part of your security pass to get into the campus it's um you know we're going completely different directions in some places so there's a lot of work to be done there's a lot of disconnect and i think it really boils down to that we just don't have a shared understanding or a set of expectations around what privacy means for us yes i agree you know nationally internationally 
Um, and so we default to these other things. And then when people start arguing, it's a privacy violation. It's, it's really, it's something else. It's a facade for something else. And if we're not talking through to that something else, I don't think we're going to make progress on, on those conversations. No, I, I agree. And one thing that was actually really opening to me is, um, I don't know if you get Netflix, but there's this documentary called the great hack that recently came out on Netflix and, the entire uh, premise of the documentary is they dive into, you know, all of the data that is collected on us and, and try to unravel what happens to that. And then they really focus on for majority of it, the whole Cambridge Analytica thing with Facebook and everything. And I don't know, for me, it's just like one of those things where I'm still kind of shocked that everybody was so shocked that that was happening or that, you know, people were even shocked that Amazon was, you know, listening to recordings that people use with Alexa or that Google was doing it or that Apple was doing it, Microsoft was doing it. It's like, I just expected this, I guess, to happen. And maybe that's just because of my age and I've always been around this, you know, some degree of technology where I just assume that data is being collected on me, I guess. I, I don't really know. But, you know, one thing I've, I've noticed as I've kind of come into my adulthood here is you're right there is there is never been no clear-cut definition of privacy and, and what privacy means i think especially when it comes to ai and voice we definitely need more transparency but until we actually have a clear-cut definition which is definitely left for the lawyers um i think we're going to continue running into this issue of people just using privacy as the blanket term when like you said it there's some of these deeper things that i think we really need to pull apart first yeah, I mean, in, in the US, if I say my freedom is violated, well, your freedom might be violating someone else's rights. Right. Um, and, and there's there's some guards against that. And I think the same kind of argument happens in the privacy world. Like, uh, when I check into a hotel, I, they take my credit card and my ID. Like, that's law. That's part of the law. And so they, they have the responsibility of managing that information. But with that information, you know, what can a hotel do? Can they pair it with some other information? You know, how, how much control do I have over that? And uh, is, is that an invasion of privacy? So I, I maybe want to flip it around for a moment, though, and, and focus on like what we can do as voice, the voice industry. And yeah, absolutely. There's, there's certainly the platform level type challenges of, okay, there's all this data. But then there's the stuff around how do we as developers or designers think about the experience and designing privacy-minded applications is is imperative for the long-term future, I think, of the industry. And a couple of things come to mind. One is that uh, you need to define it for whatever your app or organization is. Like, you need to have a definition of what it means to, to have privacy and what parts of privacy are important. Include it in your design processes. So if you have personas for your design group, add their perspectives on privacy, data security, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and lean on those. Um, don't make like a checklist of things like, okay, so I need to make sure that, you know, it does this, this, and this. Oh, and make sure that it's private, you know, doesn't violate privacy. Like that's making privacy like a bucket item that you check off and move on from is, is uh, not, not really going to serve you well in the long term. You need to have that in any feature. Anytime you collect new data, right? is you're thinking about, okay, so I, I have their email, I have their name. Now we need to also collect um, their address for whatever reason. Um, justify that. Make sure your organization justifies it to yourself. Because I honestly think that many times we don't want to 
really have more data than necessary. Mm -hmm. We're afraid that if we don't collect everything we need as soon as possible, we may not have it, and therefore we lose out on opportunities. And so it, there's this scarcity mentality that comes in with trying to grab as much data as possible. Um, but thinking through, okay, here's the data, here's the uh, side effect of having that data, here's why we need it, um, here's what could go wrong if we collect this information. You know, Making those things a, a part of the awareness of the organization and, and uh, the process of, of building and designing an experience is really important. So, and then the last piece that I like to, I think it summarizes lots of aspects that I think about is look at the human interactions that we have rather than just the technology interactions. When I go into um, a restaurant, I go into a store, you know, what's that experience like and model that. Like when I walk into a store, I don't expect the clerk to know who I am, right? my purchase history. Yes, absolutely. Even if your system knows it, like it's one thing, you know, Amazon has my whole history, but if I were to start talking to Amazon, I would understand like, okay, I'm talking to Amazon, blah, blah, blah. But I'm talking to some other individual that's leaning on Amazon's information. You know, I don't expect them to know everything about me, even if they have the capability. And so like you want to build up that relationship as if it were a brand new one and progressively disclose more information and let the person sort of opt into, um, a deeper relationship rather than going full bore into the, the relationship and be like, okay, by the way, these are the best things for you. Um, it's, it's uh, jarring and a little scary for consumers, uh, users to have things kind of shoved in their face. And so, um, in fact, the, in the video from the NPR, one of the people reviewed their, um, I guess in, during the interview, one of the people interviewing said, hey, by the way, you can hear the recordings on your phone from, from Alexa or Google, whichever. Mm -hmm. So she played one back and was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's creepy. I didn't know that. Um, I mean, it's, it's a logical thing for anybody in the industry to know that, yes, there's a recording and yes, <laughs> a, that this machine has to have the audio file to process. Um, but that changes their experience and perception, you know, and, and you don't, you don't want to belay that trust because then at that point, um, people raise more privacy concerns. Yeah, no, I, I think you have an excellent perspective on on privacy and um, especially as you kind of summarize it and circle it back to what those of us in the AI and voice space can do to, to try and, you know, help other people understand that there are so many different layers to this and more or less just we do our due diligence to really make sure that we're taking all of these different components into account as, as we're designing this, just knowing that automatically a lot of people are going to assume that, oh, my data is, you know, being stolen or they can listen to anything I said I, I think is really important. But as we kind of wrap things up here, um, this last question here I, I ask every single one of my guests is, what is one thing that someone can do today to begin leveraging AI or voice technology in their business? One thing, well, there's so many small steps that people could take. Um, and I think the, the key part is making sure that you have at least considered some options. So even before trying to build something out, um, I think a really good way to start is observing the interactions that you have inside of your business or your company, whether it's uh, your employees, if there's something that you might be able to provide for them through voice or AI uh, or your customers. Uh, both are very, uh, both have different potential use cases, but you don't just think about how does this work for my customers? It might also be what my, 
my team or my employees could use and observe uh, things where there's a lot of human interaction already or there's a lot of uh, what I would consider like data entry or you know mm-hmm. manipulating a system if there's something that you know it's clearly articulated in their head but then in front of them is a, a complex beast of uh, a tool to figure out how to you know transpose that thought into right. the system you know, those are ripe ideas and locations to start uh, figuring out how to invest i think identifying good use cases is way better uh start than just starting with something random because if you get the wrong impression that oh well this thing didn't really work out so i guess that's you know, voice isn't that that good. Uh, it might just be that the use case isn't very good. So start with identifying something. You know, do some observation. Just uh-huh. if you're if you're the leader in your organization, uh, do it, it's usability studies essentially. Just just observe the interactions and what people are doing. Learn from them, uh, as well as talk to them. But um, most importantly, observe them because people will tell you, "Oh, I'd love this or that," um, but will you ever use it? Oh, I don't know, maybe. Um, yeah. It, if it's not connected to the real world use of of, of the technology that that they're already in, then um, it's it's hard to know that it would be worth the investment. So observing what they can do today, finding those things that the idea they have in their head is difficult to bring to fruition, but with some system, maybe a lot of that could be automated. It's just that you know you have a old tool, or I don't know what the case is. But if it's something that you have a clear, simple idea that can be articulated, but it's difficult to to um, achieve. Uh, that's a great place to start. Awesome. No, I, I think that's absolutely fantastic advice. Well, cool. Well, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, what are some of the best ways for them to do so? I'm on uh, Twitter at, at Gnome on the Run. And that's the best place. Um, from there, you can find uh, my designforvoice.com podcast. Reach out to me there or just listen. I also happy to talk to folks who have uh, other great insights and and to educate around design, not just for designers, but for anybody in voice. So um, that could be case studies and things like that. So if anyone has something to share, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to share all your amazing thoughts and and insights on AI and voice with everybody who listens. So I really appreciate it and, and we'll chat soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thank you. You've been listening to the Artificial Podcast with your host, Nick Myers. Myers. To stay up to date with all our latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. To learn more about how your organization can benefit by unlocking the power of AI and voice, visit www.redfox-ai.com. Until next time.